Today on Foodstuffs. A longtime service industry vet on how his rough work history informs the way he organizes his own restaurant. And how by creating safe spaces, his employees get to focus on killer service. I think about that a lot. I think about like how the industry cheats <laughs> everybody. Uh, how, how, I mean, I want to, I, I can only speak for myself and like the fact that I want uh people that work for me to know that um, that I care about them and that I want them to succeed. I'm Giuseppe Antonio Anile. Uh, I'm the owner of uh, Midfield Wine Bar and Tavern, and you're listening to Foodstuffs. Lovely, thank you. Welcome to Foodstuffs. A podcast about food and culture. And their intersections. I'm Jessica Walker. And I'm Brian Goman. So last week we talked to a restaurant owner, and this week we're talking to a wine bar owner. <laughs> On paper, these sound pretty similar, don't they, Jess? <laughs> I suppose you might say that, wouldn't you? Um, but you also know that the content of our discussion is quite different. Last week, you talked to Bruce Lee, a former financial advisor turned into a bought me shop owner and a family man, of course. So this week, I am talking to a man by the name of Giuseppe Anile, who has worked in the Toronto service industry for a very long time, predating everything that I know about it. Um, he's seen and done it all, I'm pretty sure. So Giuseppe is the owner of a beautiful wine bar, full disclosure. I do have a number of friends that work there, including Madeline, my roommate, who some of you have heard in previous episodes. Um, But that's not the focus of today's episode, the wine bar per se. So recently I've had a number of occasions to hang out with Giuseppe. um, And included in those hangouts are these amazing, colorful discussions of him growing up working in restaurants um, well before I ever arrived in the city. Um, In previous episodes, we have talked about the current state of affairs in the service industry in Toronto, but I have been craving a discussion with someone who knows a more distant past. Um, So naturally, I freaked out when I heard stories of Joe as a young kid basically begging him, his parents to let him work in a cafe and then later in a restaurant. So this is sort of like an oral history of the Toronto service industry then, right? So yes, I mean, absolutely. Uh, one man's perspective on the history of Toronto restaurants. Um, but just for context, um, we got into a chat one night with one of his employees, one of my friends, about sort of the types of people who are attracted to this work um, and who can stand to work in this industry and who thrive in this industry over more than just like a part-time job or a short-term career. So why don't we start with kind of our background on that? Okay. So is there anything else that we should know before we roll the tape? Yeah, I mean, I guess I I just want to describe Joe a little bit. Um, So Joe, or Giuseppe, is a very chill person. Um, Obviously, I've met him as my friend's boss, um, but he's incredibly gracious, not bossy. (laughs) He's their boss, but he's not too bossy. Um, Never really like a heavy-handed sort of a vibe coming from him so it's crazy for me to hear these what I'm going to call war stories from him because essentially he's the nicest person uh, the nicest boss I've ever met that's for sure so hearing about the environment he came up in I knew there had to be a story behind it you don't just wind up being calm cool and collected and own a respected and successful restaurant without like a lot of care and thoughtfulness that goes into it. So needless to say, we have some good stories in here. I will admit that we didn't get to record some of my favorite details, uh, but you know how people are when they get a microphone in their face. Um, Nonetheless, we still get to talk about a lot of things. So why don't we press play on this one? All right, you got it. So here's Jess in conversation with Giuseppe Anile, owner of Midfield Wine Bar and Tavern in Toronto. You know, I, I think the industry on the whole attracts a lot of people that could be called uh, uh, what, what is, what did we black, call? Sheep. black sheep. <laughs> uh, at least, you know, you grow up and you, you don't always fit in everywhere. Um, you know, I, I think 
pretty much most of the staff I've asked to work for me, uh, mm-hmm. uh, myself, um, at some point or another. Um, there's a sense of not fitting in necessarily, or I think like when you have that ability, when you are, when you can look at something and understand it, not completely, but like a human being and sort of understand what they're looking for at that moment. Um, I think that makes you feel out of sorts for a long time, potentially, until you find something like this that you're good at. I mean, it's not something that we as a society put a lot of emphasis on. Um, I think everyone that I've ever met in the service industry that is really committed to it uh, has that sense of empathy. They can, they can, they, in one way, shape or another, they understand what it is you're looking for. The idea is it's not a formula. I don't, we don't ever talk about a formula. Like there's steps to service. Sure, we can all agree upon them when we have meetings and we talk about stuff. What do we do next? But really it's about like, I try to make sure that everyone's that everyone that's there that's that works at midfield um, feels safe and confident in what they're doing, um, and they can take that table or those people wherever they need to be um, without having the steps of service. They have to understand them, but really, I'm just like I like who you are as a human being. I think you know what you're doing already, so I don't get in the way. Mm-hmm. I try not to get in the way, which is I don't know. I don't know if that's a formula or not, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah. In, insofar as it's an approach. Um, but when you say the word safe, obviously we're not talking about, like, uh, first and foremost, of course, you want someone to feel, like, physically safe in your space. But what are you talking about when you say the word safe? For staff? Um, I don't know. I mean, I want people to know that I trust them that work for me, and I, I want them to, to really feel that. I, I mean, you... Uh, it sounds hokey, but you you put them in a position so they can do the best job that they're capable of. And I think everyone um, needs that space. Mm-hmm. And you have to feel safe that it's okay to be yourself mm-hmm. and that you already know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, everyone makes mistakes, but the, the truth is I know what everyone on my staff wants to do. Mm-hmm. I know they want to make sure people have a good time. That's the most fun for us, mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Walking into some place and everyone's enjoying themselves—that's effing great. Yeah. There's nothing better. It's the best. Like seriously, I think that was, for me growing up, the the thing that really drove me. It's like that's a, an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. You know. Which obviously you've thought a lot about this. You've spent a life in working with people, and I just want to know the backbone and like where it all started. So what were you talked about starting your first job at 13. Wasn't there something I, before that? Before 13? Didn't you like love the idea of working in oh, the coffee yeah. shop? Well, I didn't get to get the job. I, <laughs> so I, I remember I was at a, I was at a, a, what you'd call an old man Italian bar when I was a kid. <laughs> Uh, and I remember really clearly being like, that guy on the coffee machine is cool. Like, I want to make coffee. <laughs> I want to be, I don't, I don't think I'd ever heard barista before. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was like, uh, there was gambling. It was like people, you know, I don't know. It was, <laughs> but I remember going there with an older cousin and um, just being like, I really want to work there. So I went home and asked my dad. I'm like, dad, I want to get this job. I think it was like eight. <laughs> I thought it would be useful to contribute to, you know. <laughs> The situation at home, he's like, no effing way are you going to work there. Because he knew what would happen there. Uh, Which is what? It's just a lot of trouble in those places <laughs> growing up. It really was. Um, but I really wanted to make coffee. Yeah. I was like, that's magic, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I wasn't drinking it at the time. I just could, you know, I, I looked at it and I kind of imagined myself on a stool, you know, running the machine. That is the cutest thing in the no, world. No, I don't know. It's just it's kind of <laughs> weird, actually. It's amazing. But then... And, you, well, the, and the guy said I could have the job. I'd asked him <laughs> before I asked my dad. He's like, if you want to come here, you can sweep up. I'm like, I want to make coffee. He's like, maybe you learn how to make coffee. I'm like, all right, cool. And I'll go ask my dad. Who's, he actually was like cursing. He wasn't, you know, it was like no effing fucking way. <laughs> because he also was very familiar with... Right. Those bars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Like, they were packed in the middle of the day. I never understood how, but I get it now, you know. Yeah, up to no good. Um, So that was trying to illegally work at eight years old, but you did eventually get to illegally work at 13? I lied about my age. It was just before my birthday. I spent about six months, maybe a little bit longer, washing dishes at a uh, a diner at Yorkdale. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, I was like, oh, okay, fine, I'll wash dishes. And I liked washing dishes. I was like, I, I was one of like the best dishwasher ever. Yeah. 
was so far ahead. I was so happy. My space was so clean. But all of that was so that I was like, because, you know, you could look over into the kitchen. And, uh, I mean, it was a diner. It was a big kitchen, though. It was packed um, with people. Everyone had a station. Um, and everyone was, at least at the time, I thought, really good. I know there was a couple people that were great. It was an old woman that was on eggs. There was an all-day egg thing. And that woman, man. She could kill it with eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Her omelets were beautiful. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I want to work in the kitchen. So I started asking them to let me do prep for them. Um, and then everyone started, all the other dishwashers had to do prep. And that was not a good time or place to to want to. Because no one wanted to do more. I wanted to do more. I wanted to work in the kitchen immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I spent, uh, uh, I got out of the dishwashing. I bust for a little while. And then I went back to the kitchen. Um and I was like, oh, I'm going to cook. I want to be a chef. Um, but there was no, you know, there were chefs, but there was no celebrity chef. It was much different. Like, yeah. uh, when, are we ta- when are we talking about? Mm. Mid-80s. Yeah. You know, early to mid. Um, yeah, there was no chef. I mean, Toronto, too, was just a really strange place at the time. There was nothing. There was nothing. There was, like, some fine dining places and then, like, you know, diners, greasy spoons. Not a lot in the middle for, like young people mm-hmm. um it was it was it was a pretty quiet and strange city mm-hmm. you know uh everything was closed on sundays except for the movies couldn't shop couldn't drink uh the lcbo was a very different animal um you know i i i remember going before i was legal i mean i could buy beer from my dad at, at the beer store they knew who i was and i would go over and me and my brother would get a case of beer from my dad for when uh, people would come um but so i think i had this beard by the time i was like <laughs> 15 more or less not quite but i looked older so you could buy booze no one ever asked anything there was no id and that whole campaign hadn't even started it was like you have to be this age but no one ever asked mm-hmm. Um, I bought I bought I bought Matus wine at the Dundas LCBO, which is what Matus wine. Matus is a Portuguese table wine. I mean, apparently, like I haven't been to the but apparently it's beautiful. But they produce like this rosé and this white and this red that are incredibly horrible. They're all really <laughs> sweet, and it was like it's a rite of passage to drink it. I think now it's like I don't know what. Coors Light or what anybody drinks. Like Rev. And right, I don't know. But what? back then it was like you could buy Matus and it was a big bottle and you could drink it and yeah. get drunk yeah. <laughs> or like act like you were drunk. I don't know what happened. But yeah, uh, but it was a very different place back then in Toronto. It's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, when I meet, when I, this, when I talk to people that are about the same age and they, if, if they grew up in the industry or if they, because I, I, I wanted to be in the industry from, from that point, I, I knew I wanted to do something around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I cooked for a long time, <sighs> moving from station to station, trying to learn a little bit more, although it was just, it, you know, it, there was commitment, but it was a very different time, and people kind of flaked in and out of stuff. Uh, it was a little bit more dangerous uh, in the kitchen, I think. In what sense? Well, just the personalities. There were people that were committed to doing it, but, you know, I mean, when you talk about black sheep, I mean, in the kitchen you'd get, like, you know, like urban pirates, you know, you'd get people that were like, I don't know, there was a lot of drugs, obviously, uh, people were, it was just different. It seemed more violent somehow. It seemed, uh, I mean, it's always hot back there, uh, but it seemed like anything could happen at any time, a lot of the places. Just like tempers and... Tempers for sure, mm-hmm. like, I, I mean, I, I try to be aware of it now more than ever. I mean, I just because having to go through it, I mean... Dressing down people never made sense to me. I don't think anybody learns anything. I mean, I get it. I, I, everyone wants to be a, a good soldier. It just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, I, I worked really hard at, at, at being good at what I did back then I, in, when I was growing up. Still do, but, um, yeah, it was a different environment. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think it's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. You, you never felt safe, really. Uh, just as far as your job or li- actually physically in well, this case? I mean, like, you could hope that someone had your back, that your chef had your back, or the people above you had your back, but it was, that, that wasn't 100%, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, it just seemed a little bit uh, different. I don't know how to explain it. It was just, it seemed a little bit more um, volatile. This is the bringing up, like, Anthony Bourdain stories. 
if you've read right. kitchen, I mean, if yeah, we're talking right. kitchen confidential I, mean, I know it's like nerdy to bring it up or no. cheesy whatever I loved reading it when I when I first read it I was like yeah no I you know you feel like you could relate a little bit things were very different I mean it wasn't New York it wasn't like running around doing slamming junk but mm-hmm. you know I mean I, I did my fair share of things <laughs> uh, and you know being in a kitchen definitely helped you explore them really early yeah um and that's all we'll say about that. Yeah, <laughs> on the record. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when I asked you questions of, do you think it was being exposed because you worked in a kitchen? You kind of refuted that. Well, no, I was going to do the things I did no matter what. It just, I mean, was it easier? <laughs> Probably a little bit, yeah. but everyone I worked with was much older. Um, you know, I was like, you were often walking into a kitchen. You were the youngest person in, in the industry period, like. I feel like when I started, every position I ever took, I was the youngest person there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, constantly. It wasn't something that young people flocked to either. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit more respect in, in the way people feel about it now, and, I, I, and, and I'm glad to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a, a friend, somebody I worked for for a long time, like a, a very important to me, but, you know, he used to talk about how the, the, in Canada, in the U.S., the, the, there's not a lot of respect in, in being able to serve people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me think a lot about what service is and why I would want to do it and what it means on both sides of the coin. Um, but, he, you know, how in, for instance, Europe, there was, it, was, it was fine to do that for your life. It was, you would be taken care of. You were still paying into, you know, a pension. It was respected mm-hmm. um, in the kitchen and the front, mm-hmm. um, which was like, you know, thinking about that back then, I was like, oh, that's strange. Why isn't that here? Mm-hmm. Um, it's changed a lot because uh, there's much more um, with the idea of celebrity chefs and TV and people being intrigued by what happens in a restaurant because they're drama-filled cauldrons that'll blow up. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Kitchen nightmares. Kitchen nightmares, yeah. Yeah, I hate all those shows. <laughs> I mean, they're impossible to look away from, but you just hate them, you know? <laughs> you know the real deal, so it's a little too dramatic or something. Right. They're, it's, the, it's like blown up dramatic when a kitchen can be dramatic enough right. as it is. Right, you need somebody to be that rude and like, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous and the image it gives. I mean, I, maybe places are like that. I just, I never want to be there. I don't want to be around that place or in that place or contribute to that place. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we covered time in the back of house. Yeah. But obviously at some point you made the switch to the front of house. Yeah, I think my first, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, because I, it's been a long time, but I'm pretty sure you could serve alcohol at 18. I couldn't drink it. And I think, uh, I mean, I bust, and I felt like that was front of house. I liked it. Um, <laughs> we treated so badly at these places, but uh, I loved them. Uh, but um, I, it was 18, I was serving, uh, the, the green room had just opened. Mm-hmm. But it was like a, a bunch of students. There was, it, had, it, served, it, served, it, it was um, licensed, so we served a lot of booze and a lot of tea. Um, yeah. yeah, wait, we did skip over a good story, which is, in high school, you really sought out a lot of the fine dining opportunities in the city. Is that right? I mean, fine dining in Toronto at the time is hard to define. But I mean, I liked going out for dinner. I mean, I still do. I like having. Uh, <laughs> I would go on dates, um, and I would, I would pick places. I mean, I went to like regular places, I guess. But I liked going to places where I probably shouldn't have been. But I liked going to them. I liked sitting down, being served. Um, I liked watching what was happening, why it worked. Like, really good service is fantastic to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, a place that's organized well is an amazing thing to see. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. I love it. Best entertainment. It's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watching so. watching waiters like in the front or bartenders. It's fantastic. I li- I still like it. Mm-hmm. I still like watching it. And I would want to go and have dinner with a, a date. And you know, I wanted to go someplace that was special all the time. Mm-hmm. Restaurants were important to me. Uh, strangely, really early. Yeah. I I like the space, the public space. I like the I I think they're magic. Yeah. When they work well. Yeah. Like third spaces. Do you know that concept? No. Basically, there's home, there's work, and then there's third spaces where, yeah, you engage with people in a 
not work format and in a not like home cozy format you're like in the public yeah no i can see that yeah Yeah. anyway um and just for context your parents are not no we're not in the restaurant industry in any way shape or form but i remember like the few times we did go out as a family like for special occasions um and like Watching my parents take us out, the, the the way they reacted in the restaurant, just even I just I don't know. I remember going out for dinner with them and it being really really special, but really really enjoying it, mm-hmm. like more than the food, more than anything else, just being out there with them. Yeah, um, I have fond memories of it. It didn't happen that much, but I remember them. I think almost all of them. Yeah, you know, that's cool. Um, so I I really love the the image painted in my mind of you as a high school student with a date going to these restaurants and from what I understand you really impressed the staff from what I understand I I mean in the telling that I initially heard from your own mouth yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) I mean they they, occasionally they would be like you know they they like the fact that somebody that young would show up there they you know often they'd offer they'd be like do you want would you like wine yes I actually yes I would love wine with my meal thank you Mm -hmm. um but it was a kick for them I'm sure Mm mm-hmm you know, seeing some kids there that had no, everyone, it's just, it's, uh, it's cutesy, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Now that I think back on it. Yeah. Were your girlfriends impressed? I'd like to think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I re- rambled on about them, about the restaurants far too long generally and still do <laughs> when I go out with people. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, did you see that? That's what they're doing there. That's cool. Or, you know, just going on about thinking about restaurants and bars and yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, when you did make the switch to front of house, I'm sorry, we d- we circled back there for a second. Um, yeah, you were managing really young, right? So the term I would use. <laughs> yeah. The look on your face just now is pretty good. Well, you're managing, <laughs> but you're the shit-eating manager. You're the kid that they can get to do anything. <laughs> but I wanted to manage. I was like, cool, I'm a manager. I'm a key holder, whatever it was. And... Um, you know, that was a big deal to me. Looking back, I understand why they chose me. I was really eager, uh, wanted to impress. Uh, but yeah, you just, anything that they wanted done, then you were the guy that would do it. But in a way, that was an education to itself that really helped, you know. Um, and I learned, like, I, I, I realized, like, being trustworthy was a really, was a skill, mm-hmm. you know, was something that you had to develop. You had to make people feel like they could trust you. And you'd do what they asked. You wouldn't overthink it. You wouldn't change the order in your mind. You would just do exactly that, um, which is, I, I do believe, a skill sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're like 16 and working in a kitchen and someone tells you you're a manager, you you, you know, you spend some time. Th- I have to backtrack. So my dad, I remember telling him the first time I became a manager, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, okay, so managers are the people that eat the most shit. And uh, I said, because you're not an owner and yeah. you're not like just doing your job. Right. And he was like, you know, that's great for you. Uh, but, you know, be careful. Watch out. Um, and I was like, nah, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I got this, Dad. Uh, but, you know, I was I would, I'd be very proud of it. But like, yeah, I mean, it was everything. Uh, I mean, they could leave you to do whatever they needed you to do that no one else really wanted to um, in a kitchen, which if you've worked in a the kitchen, there's a lot of jobs that no one really cares to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleaning the ge- grease trap. All of it, man. <laughs> all of it. And then, you know, you but like you wanted to make the clothes great. You wanted the kitchen to be sparkling. Like you'd come in and, you know, clean the fridge on your own. And I mean, those were all things that you wanted to do because you were the manager uh, before anyone asked you, right? Mm-hmm. And then when they did, you know, you're like, yes, no, of course. Um, yeah. But that didn't stop you from also becoming a manager when you yeah. switched to the front no, of us, yeah, right? Yeah, you didn't, oh, yeah. learn, you didn't oh, learn your lesson. Just still want to be a manager, yeah. <laughs> just want to eat all the shit, yeah. Uh, I mean, you get a bit older and, like, you, you know, you'd work there for a long time and, like, there was things, like, so you'd have to start planning for them. You'd have to help, um, you know, working in a restaurant, like, there's so much preparation before you go in about how things are supposed to work. Mm-hmm. I used to really like the idea of, like, working on systems, making sure that things we're smoothly like this is you know there's there may be another way to do this but this is the right way that we're all deciding on right now right um and then implementing it you know 
because you'd watch everybody work. You yeah. know, if you were on a bar back, like I used to feel like you're the head of the ship. You get to see everyone else moving, and you'd watch yourself, and you try to figure out the fastest ways to make things happen. Um, efficiencies. Efficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It still drives me crazy if I go someplace and I'm like, why are they doing it like that? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, like super distracted. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> are you a nightmare to go out to eat with for someone who's particularly who's not in the industry? Probably, yeah. To, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just can't stop myself. You know, we were talking about, I'm like, I think everybody that I've ever dated at some point is like, just like, can you fucking stop? <laughs> can you just stop, please, and enjoy it? I'm like, yes, no, of course. I love being here with you, but I just... I see it. Yeah, I can't stop myself from watching what's happening or thinking about why it's happening. For sure. Um, My sister always tells me to stop working when we're out. Yeah, but No, that like only people in the service industry, like you just... You just never end. It never ends for you, when you, especially when you're out. I mean, you enjoy it. You'd like to think as much or more than anyone else that's there, uh, but you just can't stop yourself, you know? <laughs> I sent out a tweet this week that was like, I'm 100% the person that switches the toilet roll when it's out in the bathroom well, at just, the restaurant. It just makes sense. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> you know? Uh, Lord knows I clean up after a lot of people who do not have that brain, server brain. Anyway, yeah, it sounds like there's a big jump from being a shit-eating manager to a real right. manager. No, no, for sure. I mean, the first person that really gave me an opportunity to learn, um, and, it, it, you know, he probably did more for me, uh, a guy I worked for, Eugene Baroni, who had um, Bar Italia. And I worked for him for a long time, and I felt like that was the first time I'd been in a space that was made for everybody. It wasn't expensive. It was a lot of fun to be in. Um, it was smart. Um, and everybody I knew or wanted to know was there, you know, the first time I walked in. And he trusted me and actually taught me a lot about, first of all, managing and, and what was to be expected, what to expect of yourself, mm -hmm. and what to, what, to, what to expect of everyone else and how to get it. Um, and, uh, I mean, he, I watched him grow and change. He was a younger, he was about my age, really, when, I mean, it was always successful, but he moved from a smaller space to a bigger space. Um, and so I got to watch him build that bigger space, and that was exciting. Mm -hmm. um, but um, he shared a lot with me, and it was a big thing um, to have somebody speak that plainly about like all the stuff that would happen day to day, mm -hmm. and um, how he did it. Yeah. So we're talking systems, but also like theory. Right. Yeah. I mean, he said a lot of things that I still, for me, they still resonate. I mean. Um, you know, he was the first person to, at least to me, I don't know how much I've ever seen it around or heard other people. I say it a lot. Um, but, like, the reason why people go out is to be seen and to see other people. And, you know, you, you do what you do as well as you can. Um, you define it. You try to make sure that it's understandable and literate for everyone else. But at the core, that's what people want. They want to be somewhere where it's fun and exciting. Um, so how do you build that? Mm -hmm. um, he was really good at it. Mm -hmm. He was fantastic at it. Any other nuggets? Plenty, but I don't always share them. <laughs> Industry secrets? Uh, sort of. I mean, but like it's just the way he dealt with people. I mean, um, I, I mean, I'd never seen anybody shake that many hands in my life. Like I'm watching him on the bar. Mm -hmm. I was still, you know, it was my like really early twenties. I started working for him, um, and you know, he would say that he, you know, a lot of people that worked there, I'm still friends with, and. Love and a lot of them have gone on and done other things. Um, a lot of graduates from that uh, from that space. It was a good space when it was there, man. It was fantastic when he opened it. It was, I think, important to the city. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of restaurateurs coming in and out of there uh, and going on to do other things. And a lot of people I worked with ended up opening their own businesses or, you know, deciding to be, you know, get into wine specifically or to food specifically or service. Um, it was a good team, and that in itself we. They hired really well. Um, they hired people for their personalities as much as their ability um, to build a team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everyone, you know, I, I would start judging other staffs by how well they worked compared to the staff I was with. Because mm -hmm. it was like, you wouldn't have to say anything. Everyone understood each other. In the midst of it, you'd get crushed constantly. Mm -hmm. And we all, like, all knew what everyone else needed. Everyone covered each other's backs. It was great. Mm -hmm. And this comes down to the empathy part, right? Yeah. I mean, I worked with some, with some great people in the front, especially that were so good at that, um, so good at knowing what people want. And we joke about it after, 
but there was a lot to, I mean, everybody was saying the same thing. And, you know, um, we all wanted to get, to have that experience, to share that experience with those people that were coming into the place. Um, and we all wanted each other to understand it as the person who served them did. Mm-hmm. You know, like stay out of the way or this is what they want, this is what they need. You know, um, but Eugene himself is, was very empathic as well. And so was his manager, Dennis. And, you know, there was a, an understanding there um, that was really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's hard to share sometimes. I struggle with it. Uh, with We talk as a staff um, about, like, what we do. Um, and, you know, at times it's easier to share to, to amongst ourselves. But and I think we all understand it. But putting words in it, uh, putting words to it is a bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, the point is getting to that place where words aren't necessary. Because I think that I've worked in places. I, I think I've come from a place that, you know, had a golden era of that sort of vibe and, like, feeding off each other at Hopkins. At Hopkins. It felt like a good team. When I, The first time I'd gone in there, I was like, this is nice. This is special. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just allows you to elevate, right? Like, if we're not talking about these little nuts and bolts of how to service this table this night or this room this night, then you're instead talking about the details and how to make it extra special. And, you know, I don't need to worry that you're going to, like, refill the waters for those people. I can instead be like, last time she was here, she had this gruner. She really loved it. We don't have that bottle tonight. I think this or whatever it is. Right. right. No, I mean, I think, uh, I mean... We all share, like, you'd like to think that when people come in, you're like, that's so-and-so, this is what they do, this is what they like, this is why they come here, like, mm-hmm. and we share it amongst ourselves, and it makes it that much easier and that much faster, um, so that we can all serve them instead of just one person, and uh, they can have that experience that they're looking for each time. Mm-hmm. And this goes to, the, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, because I think I was actually at your fifth birthday party outside speaking with someone um, who ran into, recognized someone outside and uh, kind of tried to make the connection. And essentially he was like, oh yes, no, we we know you. Like, we know you like this, this, and this. And the person was really kind of taken aback because it does sound really creepy, right? Like you're just sort of like, I know that you hate this kind of wine. I know that you like, do not like mushrooms. I know, you know, whatever it is. Um, because the point is that they shouldn't realize the effort that goes into it, but it's actually saving our bacon, right? Like it help, it makes everything smoother. And that is at the heart of it what they're sensing without, again, having to put it in words necessarily. Right. Sometimes the people themselves don't even know. Good, but with wine, they're not necessarily, sometimes people have a hard time discussing what it is they like or don't like about it and that's fine like i mean uh, we try to just like well, what do you like mm-hmm. and then we fill that space um but they might not know that they like those things or how to necessarily vocalize it mm-hmm. um you know we know that they don't like this thing and that thing about wine so we endeavor to like make sure the things that they do get fit the thing that we do know they like mm-hmm. and you know um yeah, and uh, yeah, but it is creepy for sure. It is actually <laughs> very creepy. But you know, if I ever went anywhere and they did that, I'd be I'd be thrilled. I'd be like ex- amazing, fantastic. Yeah. You know, it makes you feel really great. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, given your drive and your like attraction to this industry from such a young age, your devotion to it, um, can we just talk about where we are now and like the effort? that you take to, because honestly, the conversation that we're we're having here today is because we're talking about those times when you get really frustrated with people and people are being really annoying and like customers are hard to deal with. Um, You know that it's not the customer and it's like ultimately burnout in some way or like you are not sleeping enough, you're not, whatever it is, like you have to set yourself up for this job. So. Obviously, it was just very clear to me that you think that way about the industry. And so what are all the bits and pieces that have come together to allow you to succeed here? Because, you know, you've come through (laughs) doing whatever you did at young ages (laughs) and you've got your head on straight at this point in time because this industry can eat people up, right? Yeah, it, it definitely can. I mean, I, I mean, I, I want a healthy industry. I mean, I, I, 
I think about that a lot. I think about like how the industry cheats <laughs> everybody. Uh, how how I mean, I want to. I I can only speak for myself and like the fact that I want uh, people that work for me to know that um, that I care about them and that I want them to succeed. So it's important for me to let them know that as much as possible. Um, I'd like to think it works because I feel a lot of love from the staff as well. And um, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you want to put people in a position to succeed. You want them to be the best that they can be. I know that sounds cheesy, but you want to give them some place where they can be as good as they can be. You want them to succeed as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. The the I, I, I'm not sure exactly how to respond. Like to talk about the industry and whether it's healthy or not. Mm-hmm. Is that what what? I mean, I'm I'm definitely curious about that. I don't think it always is. No, I mean. I mean, we all drink too much, and then we tell ourselves that it's okay because uh, this is what we do. And I'm like, that's not what we do. That what we do is like make people feel good. You know, um, that's the most important part of it. I don't know. Um, I think I think the industry. I don't think there's a lot of space for everybody in the industry. Unfortunately, I think it's changing a little bit. I mean, we talk about this, and I'm not gonna get on a soapbox about it because I can soapbox for long <laughs> periods of time. Um, but women specifically in the industry, um, yeah, I, I feel like the, the spaces are changing, but that it's been a really unsafe thing. Um, and it's been something that hasn't actually helped people grow um, and it's burned them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I try to treat people in a way that I know that everyone that I, that works for me can do what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. and I just want to give them the space to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I trust them all, mm-hmm. and that, that's an important thing for, I think, I mean, it was for me when someone really trusted me and gave me more responsibility, um, that it, it really helped me develop into a better person mm-hmm. as much as a better worker or server. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, w- I hope that's what we do. I hope that's what I do for yeah. everyone at, at, at Midfield. Um, Does that come in the form of like low tolerance for any extreme? I mean, it sounds like you are very thoughtful about who you hire to begin with. It's not like an open casting call. Um, so maybe this is a moot point anyway, and it's sort of like built into the model. Uh, but yeah, is that what you mean by creating a space where people can do what they want to do? Like no extraneous drama, drama like no. no. We, don't, we don't want any drama. I don't want any drama. I want... Um, I want as little of it as possible. I want them. I want people to be there because they want to be, um, because they feel good at what they do, um, and because it's an environment that helps to take care of them. Um, you know, I think those are really important things. I think, you know, uh, letting people, you know, shine as much as possible is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I I, I think the. I, I mean, I think of the staff, and I think of what, and it's taken a long time. I mean, you know, um, there've been ups and downs for sure. Um, I mean the space itself. I mean it's a wine bar in Toronto. The you know we were it was it was a dangerous proposition to begin with, and, mm-hmm. and you know building it up was hard. Um, but um, you know and I, I mean I, for a long time it was just me and uh, my partner working, and then for a long time it was me and one other person. And you know I wanted to hire people that had personalities that were bigger than just what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, they were more interesting, um, and I wanted them to like. You know, we'd hire them and be like, this is, you know, I want you to be who you are because you're an interesting person. Um, but then I also, you know, tell pretty much everyone that we do hire um, that a lot of stuff just won't be tolerated that's tolerated in other places. Um, and there's not much, there's no leeway with that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make a messed up joke, you're gone. Like, right. I don't have the time for it. And I don't think anybody should. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to make you a better person if that's the case. So we don't have to have a talk about it. You're just gone. I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. But um, that's it. Yeah. No, exactly. Because I think that that is discussed a little bit these days. But it's um, very common. It's incredibly common for it's it's just the base level thing where if you're so busy and you're burning out and whatever, like the dumbest jokes become funny to people and it's they're they're not even dumb they're like incredibly offensive and beyond outdated and and all of that and so it's understandable that you can 
get really, really basic and lame um, when you're you're tired like that. But it well, continues. No it's no it, excuse it, for. I mean, and we. I mean, as an industry, we're talking about it in the kitchen, and that's cool. I mean, it happens in the front. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of it up front. Um, there's a lot of positions that uh, are taken advantage of. I just, we just, I mean, we, you know, there's been an instance or two where we've hired somebody, I've had that talk with them before they start, like this won't be tolerated and, you know, something happens so it's a week or two and they're like, but I thought that was okay. I'm like, no, none of, none of it's okay. You can't make a joke about that carrot. Mm-hmm. It's not funny, man. Yeah. And like everyone's just laughing because they're nervous, but it's just like, it's, 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 it shouldn't be tolerated. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be celebrated that you're doing it. No. That's just common sense. Yeah. That's the other thing that I find strange, but that's fine, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I can't help but notice that most of the people that work for you are female, not only. that is that just a byproduct of, of creating those safe spaces, or is that an effort that you take? Uh, there's, I mean, to say that it's, it's an effort, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say that. Um, I think the people that um, have I've looked at uh, people that have that certainly that I wanted to work there and people that wanted to work at the bar um, were mostly women. Mm-hmm. Um, I trust them. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I don't know how to put this in a nicer way. Uh, I trust them a lot more in terms of like what it is they're trying to do when they're there. Then it's just easy. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with it. Um, it's not by design, mm-hmm. but I think all the women I have at the bar are really strong, mm-hmm. uh, really interesting, uh, really smart, often much smarter than me. Um, and uh, I mean, I like it because I get to bounce ideas off them. You know, I mean, we talk about this, and it's it sounds it sounds silly sometimes, but I'm like I you know I I'm not interested in being the smartest person in the room, and that's this is this is actually a managerial philosophy if if I had to have one at all or an owner philosophy is that I don't I don't need to be the smartest person in any room I need to surround myself with people that are smart though mm-hmm. um, that see things that I don't that have different experiences in the space that I don't mm-hmm. um, and I need them to talk to me about it and we need to decide what it is we do um, every day month to month week to week whatever it is um, and we build uh, what we do out of that mm-hmm. um, I do like to take consensus uh, with my staff, I like to talk to them about how they feel about any one thing that we're doing. Because again, I, you know, at the end of the day, I have to make the decision. It's my place, and it's 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 me on the line in some way. Everyone, I mean, I take a lot of responsibility employing people. I feel it's a big deal, and I I try to make sure that um, that um, they're taken care of. Um, and I'm so glad that we we've grown our staff as much as we have in the last little while. I feel really proud about that. But um. I like being able to talk to everybody and letting everybody know they do have a voice in there somewhere mm-hmm. and that it's important for me to hear what they think. Um, you know, and I don't feel like it's just lip service. I'd really like to know. No, you I know. think we're good. Thanks, Giuseppe. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. Cheers. Cheers. And that was Jessica speaking with Giuseppe Anile, owner of the Midfield Wine Bar and Tavern in Toronto. That was a really cool story. I've... I love those stories of those, like you say, sort of seen it, done it all, been in the yeah. industry for so long. And those stories of him as a kid trying to get in there as like an eight-year-old, that always reminds me of this episode of The Simpsons where Bart gets a job working as like a, a bartender for like a mob-run speakeasy. And he's yeah. like making the best cocktails and pouring himself three <laughs> figures of milk and stuff like that anyway just right, sort of right, a fun right. throwback for me yeah <laughs> absolutely i'm sure if uh young giuseppe had his way that would have probably been the outcome much yeah parent parents chagrin um but it weren't it wasn't quite that order of things nonetheless right. he sounds like he got into some Trouble. Yes. Well, um, and Bart got into some <laughs> trouble, and Dad had to pull him out of. And obviously, I think it was pretty wise of uh, Giuseppe's dad to step in and say, "Like, no way, no, <laughs> you're not taking this job." Not For just sure. because of his age, because I think he knew uh, he knew that environment, knew what the kid could get into, and obviously, he got into some of that stuff a little bit later. And uh, but that's all sort of a part of his journey to get him to where he is now, and. It's a really sort of thoughtful 
mindful place where, um, I mean, we've talked a lot about, um, like you say, the current uh, space, I'll use that term that you guys reference a lot, right? Um, Mm -hmm. In in restaurants, there's been lots of stories, yeah, about sort of, um, I mean, I think restaurants in general, I think, have, have trouble with that about... Uh, creating a safe space, um, especially for women, um, but mm, not just that, yeah. where 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 people feel safe in a kitchen or working in a restaurant. Um, so I think it's interesting to hear somebody who has gotten to a place where they figured out how to to have yeah, the a, helm of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it was kind of difficult to put into words at the beginning there. Like I was really kind of working with him to like, what are we talking about? Like, I I have a feeling I know what you're talking about. Um, And knowing you and knowing the space that you have created, I have a guess at it. But like, just trying to actually articulate it. And then when we were getting into that discussion of like, yeah, it's I mean, that's the whole thing here, right? Like, these are all ugly things that you're really... Obviously, working hard in this instance to not have happen in your in your zone, but it's only by naming them that you kind of articulate it fully that you will not accept, you know, the super base humor, um, right. these things that of the past that you know are not like only in restaurant industries, and that's kind of every time this discussion comes up in any space, you're just like, this doesn't only happen here, but how do we work to moderate it? Well, it takes the person who's in charge to do that. Yeah. Um, and it was, I guess, in getting into this conversation and like talking about essentially being really sensitive. We're using the word empathic, but like that just means being sensitive, right? Like picking up on people's like really small signals of, and that could be just like that person needs a new drink. That person, um, thinks the music's too loud. That person, you know, like that's what a server is dialed in on. Right. And And this is a new term for me. Sorry to jump in there, but empathic. So can you, yeah, talk about that. Yeah. So there's sympathetic and there's empathetic. I, I would say that sympathetic is, I feel so bad for you. Like, you know, you, are you see that someone's going through something and you feel bad for them. Empathetic is taking it a step further where it's like, I see that you're going through a hard time and I'm literally imagining myself in your shoes and trying to understand what, if it were me, what I would need to feel better or to kind of get through this piece. Um, And so it seems really overblown to talk about (laughs) like servers who are just bringing you food and drinks as empathetic, but like anyone who's, who either comes up in this industry and like thrives on it. Um, after we turned off the recorder, we were just talking about in a situation that Giuseppe's in where he's been like 20 plus years in this industry he has regulars that have followed him around to all the different places that he's worked. He's seen them get married. He's seen them have kids. He's seen those kids grow up and now they're in university. Like he's seen so much of people's lives and we are included in all of that. He's heard all about their relationships. Like I think in the past we've talked about this where, you know, like I know that you're pregnant before your best friend does because I can't serve you you know, raw things or whatever it is, um, it takes a, a very special person to want to do that. And like being empathetic um, allows you to foster those relationships, to create those uh, long-term situations with people that do want to come back to you because they know that you know them. It's really quite special. And sorry, just circling back there. Yeah, we were talking about safe spaces. I think that um, in this day and age, uh, it's becoming more clear. I mean, this is a lens through which I see the world. And I think it's probably come up in various ways, directly and indirectly in the past. But I really notice it's only through going through something really hard that you know how to identify that in other people, how to help prevent that from ever happening again for yourself and for others. Um, so to see this person that is so calm, cool, and collected, and like really kind and funny, and like a nice person to be around, and realize that it's because he's worked in a ton of places where you know I. I mean, is it overblown language? Like to say that he was abused as like 
one of however many uh, like underlings in these old school kitchens um, or on the floor there. Um, it takes being, you know, belittled and, and having your face put in something and like really never wanting to experience that again and certainly never wanting to participate in that again in order to create something like the workplace that I know he has created there. It's, um, it's remarkable. And I, I guess going into this, <laughs> going into this interview, all I knew is that he, I know this man before me who is, you know, ha- leads a balanced life. Like he, I've learned from co- like his employees that, you know, he's really big into meditation. He had a period of like following a sensei and like cool stuff, um, which doesn't necessarily correlate with the idea of this like rock and roll industry where you're drinking every night, which there's a rock and roll version, but there's also just the straight up normal version, which is where everyone has a drink or five when they get off work because they've worked a long night and they're, and they're pooped. Um, but understanding that this person works hard at balance, there's a, there's a reason for it. And so what was like initially just like a funny, haha, adorable, Giuseppe, eight-year-old begging to pull shots at a cafe with his mm-hmm. parents um, is in fact like a lot of drive, of course. Obviously, he didn't have to stay in that world. But like when you love people, this is such an incredible industry to exercise that. And so um, moving beyond it and getting to, you know a place where he got to open his own space and create this ideal work environment. I'm sure it's not perfect, obviously, mm-hmm. but like really striving for that. And I think really fundamental to all of this is just understanding that it's fluid and what can work perfectly one day or as close to perfectly as you could ever hope for can really fall apart the next day if you're not vigilant, but like choosing to make it an effort to have a nice place to be and understanding that by creating a nice place to be and taking the drama out of the situation, taking the harriedness out of the situation, getting people organized, having a plan, like that's when things elevate, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think when you and I were talking about it, it's sort of like across industries, right? Like you have a version of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of And, and you, I think we're talking about the, all the details, like you can, as a, a manager and owner, you're going to see everything. You're going to see mm-hmm. every, uh, you know, spot on a glass or every, <laughs> uh, you know, linen that's not pulled straight or whatever the case may be, right? But if you have a team that knows, everybody on that team knows what their role is, they take it seriously and they take care of all that stuff, now you don't have to worry about that. Now you can worry um, about you know, uh, the sort of more subtle things that really make a big difference. And yeah, for me, it's the same kind of thing as a producer on set. I'm often in charge of small crews and, um, there is a temptation to micromanage and always make sure that you're looking after every little detail and you'd need to do that. But if you have a team that you can trust, um, that they know you trust them, um, those little details very often get taken care of without you having to worry about them. And now I can uh, spend more time uh, on the really detailed parts of my job that I should really be focusing on as mm-hmm. opposed to making sure that everyone else has done what they need to do and everyone else has anticipated anything else that's come up, right? So um, to me, that's that's like that's leadership. When I hear all that story and even how he sort of seems to almost like lay like those ground rules and say like what is not acceptable you know what kind of talk is not acceptable that you don't let Mm -hmm. it get to a point um i think the zero tolerance thing it makes sense and i I was thinking about even like a hockey example um the example is really like uh, a, a hockey game that starts to get out of hand um gets out of hand because referees let little little infractions go Right. And then the animosity grows and grows and grows. And now it's something that is totally out of control. And now now you have no hope. Whereas if you lay down the law right away, people know, okay, we have to play within these rules. 
right? And I see yeah. that with with him to say, no, you know what? We're not making jokes like this. Sorry. Yeah. That's not what we're doing because you know that it can start out funny and maybe, oh, she doesn't mind and it's okay. And maybe it is okay for a little while, right? Um, yeah. But that it's too easy for that to escalate and get to a place. And then it's harder for somebody to say, I know I laughed at that other joke that was slightly sexist or slightly racist or slightly whatever, but now I'm really offended and uncomfortable and it's harder for somebody to now step up and say that. Whereas if you just as a leader step up and say, we're not talking like this. Okay. Cause you've been in those experience in, in those situations before and you know where it goes. I'm going to stop it right now and make sure that everybody always feels comfortable. I think that's amazing. And then, you know, when people feel like they're respected at work, do um, you want to do a better job, right? And everybody yeah, exactly. is, is, is like I say, knows their role, cares about doing it really well. And so, I mean, that's the effect of really good leadership, you know? And like you exactly. said, that's, that's not just this industry, that's any industry. That's what I was just thinking. It's just like by taking care of all the basics, like and by trusting the people that you're working with and and yeah, like all valuing very similar things, not the exact same things, of course, but by valuing the same sort of things, when all of that basic stuff is taken care of, that's when creativity or like in your case, when you're working on set or I mean, I guess you could call it creativity for us as well, but like really thoughtful, careful service like comes through. Um, I was cracking up at like the the creepy comments he was talking about, like where, yeah, we all are at the beginning of the day. If we know who's coming in, like if you're in a restaurant that takes reservations and you know that name, all the systems that now exist, like open table and that sort of stuff have these room, room for notes and restaurants will use those little spaces to write details so that if I'm not working today, the next person can take a look at that even if I'm not there and I served them the last time and know that they like, yeah, this kind of wine as we were saying, but I love the story of that guy outside of, um, outside of the midfield that night, just like betraying this little piece about, (laughs) about all the, all the communication that actually happens around that stuff. And that's indicative, right? Like all of the pieces that we never want you to worry about the whole point. We talked about this way back when I was just saying like, how to eat oysters, you know, like there's all these nonverbal cues that go around that we are dialed into. We do not want to bother you during your dinner and let us not bother you um, or let us take the, take away the conversation about what wine you want, because we had that conversation a month ago. We don't need to do it again. Let me offer you this idea and I can be in and out much, much quicker. Um, and yeah. And so when a service staff isn't like infighting or like worried about did they clear that table or you know like efficiency 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 then time is freed up for more careful service all this to say um it's interesting i was trying to describe to you why i wanted to talk to this person it took me a minute to kind of yeah isolate what it was um but i think at the core of it it's just like someone who's been through enough to value a safe space and being in a moment in time where you have employees that are as yeah like a plethora of employees to choose from that are also as caring about these things and that these all get to come together and and it's that unspoken stuff that is really hard to put your finger on but um but yeah we all all need to prioritize it's only through going through the hard shit that you know how to value the beauty of things. And he's doing it. Okay, that's it for another episode of Foodstuffs. Thanks so much this week to Giuseppe and Ile. Thank you for hosting me in your home. We tried to use their like wine room in the basement. Turns out a water heater is a pain in the ass. <laughs> but... Uh, he had a backup plan really close by, so that was perfect. Thank you so much, Giuseppe. Thank you to Ken Stauer and Eric Betlam and everyone at CIUT. Once again, we're coming to you from our, <laughs> our home studios, but we always want to thank the, the, the fine ladies and gentlemen at CIUT for supporting us. Thanks, Ken and Eric, and thank you so much to you for listening. 
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Foodstuffs Life or by searching Foodstuffs on Facebook. Or just head straight to our very favorite website, our only website, foodstuffs.life. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast app you could possibly dream of. You can always stream us on SoundCloud as well. For Foodstuffs, I'm Brian Goldman. And I'm Jessica Walker. We will see you next week.